In therapy, radically genuine is reached when one is being truly authentic, communicating freely and openly as equals. The Radically Genuine podcast strives to do just that. We will question areas of mental health, culture, societal norms, and what is truly needed to improve the lives of others. Dr. Roger McFillin is a clinical psychologist and board certified in behavioral and cognitive psychology. He is the executive director of the Center for Integrated Behavioral Health in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Do we have the ability to create our own heaven or our own hell? When life happens, it's a moment to choose a path, one of virtue or one as a slave to our own emotions. There is a wisdom passed down throughout centuries that is ignored in popular culture. We revisit those ideas, lessons, and their applications to create a life of value. On today's podcast, we discuss the wisdom of Stoicism. I had read some Stoicism maybe about five or six years ago, and I applied it to my career, and it really helped me. But as I was reading it just yesterday, I was applying it to what's going on in my life right now, and it made me realize that Stoicism and the words of these uh, Stoics uh, can be applied to many times in your life, your timeline as you go through. So it's important to go back and actually reread and think about how um, it would benefit you differently or what your perspective would be. And I was taking a look at through time, there's been speakers or people that have motivated you um, or motivated society like Winston Churchill during World War II. And now I'm looking at what's happening in the world right now and I'm trying to determine whether or not anyone can speak in a way that provides lessons and motivates a culture. And what's, what's happening with Russia and Ukraine made me think like, are, are we witnessing now that the human spirit and people have a resilience within them that we didn't think existed today? And I'm seeing an entire group of people kind of rallying together and fighting a world superpower and they're showing how powerful they are um, when adversity is placed in front of them. Uh, and I'm wondering if there's somebody that can say the words that were said in the past today, given the amount of crap that's out there and with entertainment and distractions. All the noise. All the noise that's out there. Can somebody say something that will be these life lessons that will carry on for the rest of eternity? When I first heard about the topic today, it reminded me of something that I'd read a long time ago, and I believe this is the Stoic philosophy, but there was a king, there's a quick story, there was a king who became very disenchanted with all the people because all they were doing was complaining all the time. And I guess he was a fairly kind king, but he decided I'm done with them complaining. So he took a giant boulder and he put it in the middle of a road that led to the city, which didn't allow anybody to pass easily or allow people to you know do their day to day. And he... Um, he sat out there and watched as people confronted this giant obstacle and noticed that not only were they complaining, they were complaining about him. They were, you know, saying horrible things until one day this individual comes and uh, approaches it. And this individual has nothing um, and decides to stay there and tries to move the obstacle out of the road um, and, you know, kept it all at it all day, but never once complained. And suddenly just kind of had this idea. So he went into the 
wilderness and brought back uh, a stick for as a lever mm-hmm. and was able to then move the boulder all right after hours upon hours upon hours and no complaining and just thought you know what is going to do it as he moved it what was left in its underneath it was a huge bag of gold mm-hmm. and the whole premise you know behind that was if you stay with something and struggle long enough there is a reward for you it's an interesting topic to for me today because obviously we've been critical of the modern kind of mental health educational system that exists in Western society. The collective mental health of our society is worsening. And what is new in attempting to think about our collective mental health is a shift from centuries of philosophy, biblical texts, things that inform us on wisdom. And this, the science of, of psychology or the science of, of mental health is about a pursuit for truth. And what is that truth that we're pursuing? This, how do we create a life of value? the experience of joy, love, purpose, and how do we improve society? By relying on some virtues, some principles, or some values that can support the collective growth and positive mental well-being of all people. And one of the things that I'm most concerned about is how we've ignored centuries of wisdom as we begin to approach how to respond to the challenges of modern day living. And if it's possible today, I'd like us to, to revisit and discuss some ancient writings mm-hmm. on wisdom and to talk about how that can be applied to all of us. There needs to be a normalization around the struggle of living. Yeah, because they're, they're philosophers, right? So for... Decades, they sat around and they saw the problems that existed in the human spirit and they discussed it and they recognized the value that some of those hardships have over time in order to grow, to become stronger. And we've talked about resilience. So much of it is on that. Uh, and just in terms of being confident in, your, in the decisions that you make in, in life and not worrying what others think. like So much of that can be applied to every day. And when people think about stoicism, they're like, oh, I don't know, the whole Roman Empire and going back. I'm not a historian. I would have a hard time with that. And I, that's not what stoicism and these quotes, like they're really simple. You can spend 15 minutes every day and read something and apply it to your life and, and really you know, reflect on it and apply it to whatever you're going to be doing throughout that day and you can become a a better person. That's what I enjoyed about this process of of preparing for this was thinking that, hey, listen, I I read some books on stoicism. I know what it's all about, but I really didn't. I had to like, I came at it from a, a whole new perspective because I've changed as a human being and anybody can go back and, and read these things that they've read before and come at it from a totally different angle. Yeah, I think when they read them, you know, it makes a lot of sense. But can we start with the idea of perception and how we view everything? Because 
the way I look at it, we had these conversations in other podcasts where, again, now with the world at war here, but still, we're living in a generation where people have an abundance of things, um, wealth, um, genuinely, overall, happy. You know, could abundance actually be an obstacle? Well, the question is, is interesting because we are the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. So as far as modern comforts that exist, it, it is unmatched. But yet our levels of misery are extremely high. And we have to analyze why that is. If those comforts exist, why are we more miserable? You know, the single most important practice in Stoic philosophy is differentiating between what we can change and what we cannot. There's so much about Stoic philosophy. And you know what? I don't want to just limit this to Stoicism because there is crossover between uh, some of the, the wisdom that exists in Stoicism, Stoic philosophy, which includes Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, uh, amongst others. Seneca. Seneca. Mm-hmm. Um, that also exists in uh, like modern day Buddhism around acceptance and, and change. If you look into some of the uh, Hinduism or some of the uh, spiritual gurus out of India, and even in uh, the biblical text in, in the Bible, or uh, I'm not as familiar with maybe the Quran or some other biblical texts, but it's the idea that over, over centuries, humans have tried to document how best to deal with the struggles of, of, of living in that time. And so when it comes to stoicism, so much of it is about a disciplined life with a goal of mastering your impulses and your passions in order to act in a way that is in accordance with your own personal virtues and, and values. And there's a lot about effective psychotherapy that supports these principles. Mm-hmm. And you think about coming into a therapeutic relationship with a, with a competent therapist, you are actually in this process of increasing consciousness, right? Becoming more conscious of how you think, of how you feel, of what is happening in your world around you in order to take steps to act or behave more effectively. And when you, that's what you, that's what you, you know, you really examine across some of these quotes, some of these philosophers. They're talking about their own internal struggle and what they struggle with and then how best to respond to that. Mm-hmm. It's the Jedi Council, <laughs> <laughs> it's the Yodas of, uh, of the past. How much of like movies steal from the Stoics? Like you think there, there's a great writer out there and or this these characters that are in, in film and you're like, man, I quote Thanos all the time. And then you realize that it was stolen from the Stoics. Yeah, in every single movie, actually. I think. <laughs> yeah, the quote has just changed a little that's bit. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They own it. So let's, again, let's go back. I'm interested now in, in, in that, that, that perception yeah. of how people view struggle. Let's start there. Well, do you... What was interesting, I was telling Sean before we started the podcast, is uh, I was reading Epictetus before I decided to, to study cognitive behavioral therapy because some of the ideas of Epictetus and Stoic philosophy were around perception. Uh, one of the famous quotes 
exists. Uh, men are not disturbed by things, but rather the view they take of them. And that, that was fascinating to me because it was this constructivist model, this idea that we construct our own reality. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes understanding human potential and human problems extremely difficult because what exists internally for us is only to be observed by the person unless that person decides to share what they're experiencing internally. So the power of perception is this, is how we think about things creates our own reality. So Epictetus is also my favorite. And I I wrote down this one quote because I think it speaks to many things, uh, especially towards what you're touching on. It's freedom is the only worthy goal in life. It is won by disregarding things that lie beyond our control. So when we talk about freedom, freedom paints a picture. And we've touched on it in in this room, having conversations about all those forces that are out there that are trying to control us the way that we think. But the reality is those things are going to exist. They're going to be out there. How you choose to live your life and almost not ignore those things, but recognize that they're out there and don't let them control you. It's That's you what re- freedom is. That's your perspective of, of what's happening in the world. It's how you respond to that. I was just going to yeah. say it's a response to those. So you can get angry that some things are happening out there in, in this country right now, or you can focus on what's important to you, which is the love that surrounds you, your family, and how you choose to wake up in the morning and live your life. True. That's freedom. So we're we're in a rage culture right now, right? Would you would no you doubt. say? Yeah. And from a, a political ideology perspective, one of the interesting things that I see uh, exist now in in modern day United States is this this concept of of guilt based on what you have or what the color of your skin is, um, your economic conditions. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's pushed certainly from this this idea of the United States being a, a racist culture. Uh, it's pushed from the idea of identity politics that though you are oppressed based on uh, the color of your skin, your gender, your ethnic background, your economic class, right? and not ignoring that there is some truth to that that. You know, opportunities may be provided or not provided based on uh, how, you know, how, what you've been brought into this world in as, as far as uh, class, race, gender. Those, those things are, we're not denying those, the, the complexity of all that. But it's, it's almost in opposition to maybe how the Stoics would view the approach of a good life. The approach of a good life is that you are not controlled by these things that you master what you can respond to regardless of the circumstances. So we see this in the United States that regardless of your race, gender, class, there is opportunity in order to uh, rise in the social system and there's upward mobility regardless. I would say more now than ever in the history of mankind. Yeah, but it's not communicated that no, way not. by political forces, academic forces and, and, the, and the media. And it creates a collective sense of guilt or shame. The concept of white guilt. Could you imagine feeling guilty just based on the color of your skin? 
And it paralyzes you as a human being because there's nothing you can do about it because it's just there. It exists. It also prevents you from saying and having communications because you're going to hide any thought because of that guilt and shame. That's so. right. So if you're born into a socioeconomic status or by the color of your skin, those are things you can't control. Correct. The only thing you can control is how you choose to pursue everything you do every day in life. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but like Epictetus was born a slave who became one of the most important voices in the Roman Empire. This is at a time when it was probably more difficult to ever rise up to that status, but he was able to do so. And that's why I think his perspective on a lot of things is really about focusing on what you can control because the only thing he can control during that time period was what he did every single day to get out of that situation so that he could provide influence and he knew he needed to get to a certain level in order to influence and change. Have either one of you read Man's Search for Meaning? No. Victor Frankl? No. no. Oh, incredible story. First of all, I recommend everybody in your lifetime read Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Okay. He was a, uh, a physician during uh, the Nazi Germany reign and was in a, um, in a concentration camp. I think he lost his wife, his children, uh, but he stayed alive as he was, um, you know, he was a laborer in the concentration camps. And uh, after surviving, he wrote a, a book, his own search for meaning and how he found freedom in that uh, basically being a slave and, and, and facing tremendous pain and loss. And then your, your takeaway from reading something like that is the potential that human beings exist to be able to rise above circumstances mentally, emotionally, to be able to, to be free and create purpose and meaning regardless of what is happening to you. One of, uh, one of the quotes, everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Mm. Now think about uh, what generations are currently taught, Western ideas, philosophies, modern day education, the healthcare system, how the, the, idea, the messages that are constantly sent, what is it? You are a victim of your circumstances. Yeah, there's no doubt. I can attest to that. We, we, we are definitely following that model right now. And there's a lot of students that are, are having some difficult time with struggle. And in the only solution might be to say, well, you have a problem instead of, you know, saying a different message. It's always you have a problem. Yeah. And, you know, there'll be, there would be people that would be listening to this conversation. And from what they were taught, their idea about this would say this conversation is one of privilege. Mm-hmm. You can only adopt these ideas based on a privileged background. This idea that you have not been able, you have not yet faced the, the trauma of circumstances that would lead someone to not be able to adopt such an idea or belief. And I think it's important for us to recognize that much of the philosophical text has come out of circumstances mm -hmm. of facing um, incredible trauma, loss, and suffering. And so the question is, does wisdom arise from suffering? Yes. 
can that which hurts you help you, right? Like the obstacle right. that you face becomes actual the opportunity for, for learning. And if we're going to talk about the collective mental health of our, of our society, and we have been, and we've talked about things like growth mindset, and we've talked about things like um, uh, post-traumatic kind of growth, what can be learned from struggle? Because when you face something that is absolutely painful in your own life, you now have a choice because that external event cannot be changed. Mm -hmm. It's already occurred. It's done. So you are to be controlled by it for the rest of your life or you are to, you have the freedom to learn something from it. And within that, Every pain, every emotion is a lesson. It is there to serve you. It is there to teach you. And what are the messages then when we talk about emotional pain in terms of a symptom of a disorder rather than uh, a lesson to be learned, a gift that has been provided through us through evolution? We use it in order to create the life that we want that we need to create. So the moment you change the way that you think about your own internal experience is the moment you are giving up freedom. You are now a slave to your internal experience. You're a slave to your own thoughts, your own ideas, your own emotions, and you are controlled by the external. And that is what we are seeing. We are seeing a generation of young people who are taught that what they feel or what they experience is something that could be right, good, bad, wrong. There's a judgment around it. Could mean that there's something wrong with you. They are taught that they are victims of circumstance. And this has a negative effect on their own ability to learn from experiences, to find new avenues, to find freedom, to find purpose. I think we've all been humbled in our life, right? And it's it's the humbling that is the opportunity for growth. So, yes, we're coming at this from a privileged perspective, but we've all encountered things in our life that for some may can, paralyze can them. Can you define that, though? Humbled? No. The, the, when you say we're coming from a privileged perspective, can what, what does that mean? Yeah, because I'm very confused. Well, as to, I, I'm always using, um, is, I I'm using, because we're in the room with Rod. Okay. So Roger's experienced and spoken with people who have experienced true trauma. And we have encountered, you know, death. We've encountered heartbreak. We've had, we've, we've been humbled in our pursuit of you know, trying to aspire towards something uh, bigger in life at a young point in our careers where maybe we were shot down or we failed, those are very minor in compared to what a traumatic experience may be. Yeah, it's more than just that too, right? When we talk about, you know, this word privilege is, you know, toxic. It's thrown away now and it's assigned to um, a, a society, a certain group of people in society. Yeah. But there's a, there's a level of awareness that the three of us have to have. Right now, we were able to drive in here. We were able to walk in here, right? Yeah. There's a freedom to that. Um, we d neither one of us were concerned that our life would be in danger, right? We're of, strong, we're of strong mind and strong health. 
uh, we have opportunities. We have this, this microphone is sitting in front of us because of the privilege or the opportunity financially to be able to kind of fund this in a particular way, right? We get to go home and we have running water or we have so privilege, heat. privilege is resources. Yeah, yeah, okay. um, amongst, that, I, amongst I just, other things. I don't, I don't, yeah, gets, let's, let's use a quote from Marcus Aurelius. It just it's, gets thrown out there. Yeah. That's why I wanted to confirm and it, it, clarify. It does get thrown out, and, and you're right. In, in today's uh, society, it's being assigned a certain label. Yes. But let's use a quote from Marcus Aurelius. When you arise in the morning, think of what a privilege it is to be alive, to think, to enjoy, to love. Yeah, so important. It's that idea of gra- you know, gratitude. Gratitude, yeah. yep. Gratitude be is grateful a- for what you have. Um. You know, this idea about how we construct our own re- reality is really important because um, how you think about your own experience has significant consequences. Mm-hmm. So in that particular quote, you wake up with your attention focused on what you have, mm-hmm. right? Imagine the difference in how you feel and how you approach that particular day if your attention is focused on what you don't have or what others have that you don't. Mm -hmm. So it is what we pay attention to in our lives has critical emotional and behavioral consequences. And I'm somebody who believes that we're all creators, that we have the ability to create what we actually want. And that's that internal freedom. And so if you're going to be focused and your attention is going to be on, on your pain, what you don't have, who you are not, what you've lost, uh, what you fear, then you are going to live your life in accordance to those ideas, to that reality. And it would be one of protection, of avoidance, of um, that fear controlling how you interact and how you engage. And that's created, you know, that creates, that reality is created in our own mind. You know, the other thing, the one thing about stoic philosophy or when you talk about like modern day Buddhism, it's this idea that we only have this moment. The past is, it's gone. You cannot recreate it. It's, it's over. A future is only created in our own minds. Right? The, the concept of a future is unique to humans. And if there's a future, if we think about future, it's because we've created a story about what we think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. But the real truth is we only have a series of now. Right? right now, that's it. You only have nows. But a lot of people live either to protect themselves from their fears of what can happen to them in the future or to try to create something they believe will provide them happiness or fortune or or success in that future. You know, there's also there's always this like delay, this delay, this delay in order to get something in this future that we created in our minds. Yeah, it's these stories that we tell ourselves that prevent us from doing anything. And it, when it comes to like aspiring for something or working towards uh, an ultimate goal, we have a tendency, and maybe it's just in this country, to believe like it happens with a snap of a finger. I had a brilliant idea. I launched this company and I made my millions. But when you talk to those who have succeeded in life, they'll say it was the everyday grind of working and putting in the effort and little by little getting things done and then progress happening. And through that progress, 
the opportunity presents itself, which opens the door to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And before you know it, you've reached that point where where you've succeeded. But it's not an idea. It's not snapping your finger. It's not putting it out to the universe. It's actually committing yourself every single day to make improvements, to put the systems in place that will allow that success to come your way. That is putting it out to the universe. Well, yeah, you're, you're, right. you're creating the reality that you want in that way, right? Yeah. You have a passion, you have an idea, you have a purpose, and then you live it every single day. And that is manifesting it out into the universe because what will come back is that complex interaction between what you think, what you want, and what you do every single day. You're creating your own experience, your own reality. Seneca said, Mm -hmm. let us prepare our minds as if we'd come to the very end of life. Let us postpone nothing. Let us balance life's books each day. The one who puts the finishing touches on their life each day is never short of time. So you that's the idea of living your life to the fullest each day as if there is no tomorrow. The wisdom that comes from lying on your deathbed. These are questions that I ask in, in, in therapy. And in the cognitive behavioral treatment community, there's something called acceptance and commitment therapy where it talks about valued living. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, we, our control is in, in, in how we act. And you begin to think about if you were lying on your deathbed, what would you do differently? You know, how do you want to define your life? And how and those are your values. There's a clarification of values when you know that your life is a is is almost over, right? Memento mori, which is that Latin uh, term. Uh, remember uh, that you will die, or you know that something to the idea translated remember that we all will die and that's powerful because how many people live their life in an unconscious way mm-hmm. trying to prevent death but never truly live so this okay awesome like so here's a thought that i just had with students and if this stoic stuff should be taught like we should be actually should embracing be. this like this is crazy to me but if I were going to ask, well, then why so much anxiety? Why so much fear? Why, why are we fearing struggle? Why is there so much victim culture? Things like that. Can I just wrap this up in my own little thought would be that these students, these kids, these, this next generation are being taught that their perception, they're really only focusing on perceived threats. Like everything is a threat mm-hmm. versus an opportunity. We are limited by our perceptions, aren't we? Yeah. And isn't education or actually psychotherapy or child rearing or even relationships, a way to expand what we already know, to think about the world in a, in a different way. And people can limit you, right? Who you expose yourself to limits your ability to think about things in a, in a particular way. Yeah. I don't believe each individual, generally speaking, understands how limited their life is. And this was what was most upsetting to me during the, uh, the pandemic was the, f- the collective fear in which people chose to live and their belief then that 
how they want to live their life should influence that of others. No government entity in a free society should have the opportunity to limit that individual freedom for anybody else. Obviously, it drives a lot of what I talk about. Mm-hmm. And so fear is, is how a human population can be controlled. But we ask ourselves, what are you fearing? Are you fearing death? Because how it ultimately comes back, I'm fearing death. Right. I'm fearing that uh, this life will be over. Or you're fearing the death of someone else like your right. grandma, grandpa, right? During that time. Or you're just fearing the uncomfortable. You know, we're surrounded by such comforts right now that nobody wants to lose those. You're, like your people right now are comparing their lives to like the people in Ukraine that have been completely disrupted, uprooted, and we're living a life very similar to ours. And now this unthinkable thing is happening to them. And it's, it makes a lot of people very uncomfortable. Um, I'll, I'll use Seneca, another quote from him. We are more often frightened than hurt. And we suffer more from imagination than from reality. Yeah. I, so this is going to be very challenging for people to understand because we are moving away from a viewpoint of personal accountability and responsibility uh, and we're being shifted and pushed into the, you know, being influenced by the external. So even somebody who has faced trauma, who is struggling with depression, fear, struggling to stay focused, are controlled by addictions. The, the, the idea that that person has some agency in how they live, that what they do internally influences their life and their behavior it's it's we're moving further and further away from that and so this discussion and other discussions is bringing back the power of the individual to be able to create their own existence regardless of what has happened to you now that's a really challenging idea especially if your identity has been formed by this idea that somebody else has shaped your life and your circumstances. Mm. It could be a parent or a family. It could be a society. Uh, it, it could be an, uh, an oppressor. It could be something that happened to you that, that's traumatic. It could be what you have not received in response to others. And people will develop an identity around that. And that identity is, is shaped. They don't understand that it's, it's forming misery and it's creating misery in their life. And if you look at any attempts to get somebody to think about it differently can be met with great rage because now, now you're, a, you're, you're, you're creating this idea that you have more responsibility for your own happiness when you were taught and shaped to believe that you are a victim to somebody else. We see this in rage culture. Mm. We see this in social media. I was on Twitter talking about the other day about how people are attaching their own quote unquote, mental illness diagnoses as if it defines them. And so if you are critical of this idea of, of mental illness and these categories that have developed, you are now personally um, criticizing their own identity. That's concerning. Like This is how culture has shaped the way people think about their experience. And it creates misery. I 
popular culture will create misery if we don't find a way to return to some of this wisdom and to understand our own power and to create our own realities. We will slowly continue to walk down the path where we were giving up a lot of our own personal freedoms to somebody else who is promising that they can save us, that they can create the ideal world, uh, the ideal society. You can, you can be provided everything, and therefore you will, uh, you will be relieved of that personal responsibility and that distress. And you, can, you know that we're walking down that direction because politically there's an ideology that tries to serve that, that your entire fate in this world is determined by outside entities. And it has to start in, in, the, in the education system. So we have to bring, we talk about all the time, critical thinking back. We have to go back to the basics of, the, of these kind of stoic thoughts and try to get individuals to want to help themselves, right, first and change the perception of how they view threats. So is that, is that, is that even possible? Is it possible to bring up a generation that would actually go back to these wise, you know, sayings and start to understand that this is how you have to do things, right? Yeah, I would say that would be extremely difficult, especially <laughs> in the education system, right. because the way that things are established now is there's a hierarchy, right? So to, to have a conversation about philosophy and to get a class to engage, the class would have to question. Mm-hmm. Uh, the teacher, and at times maybe say that they're wrong. And saying that they're wrong makes them a threat or an adversary. Correct. Or disrespectful. So how do you have an open conversation, an open dialogue with somebody at that age where it's it's the, the content of the conversation that's being evaluated? Sean, if, I, if we set up an experiment, okay, yeah. That Kelly and I, we went out and we got 100 people, you know, we paid them 50 bucks to, for 20 minutes of work. Their only job was to line up outside our building on a Sunday morning. We were walking in here for a podcast. And as you, they'd, they'd have a tunnel around you. And as they, as you walked in, they would just scream at you. You're a loser. You're stupid. You have nothing worth of value or saying on this podcast and just put you down they criticized you they made fun of your appearance they made fun of your thought processes they called you dangerously naive right <laughs> the entire way up into why are you doing this <laughs> <laughs> into this this podcast yeah. and before you sat down mm -hmm. the philosophical question is does that influence you it doesn't know what i would do I'd come up there, I'd have my arms out to the side, I'd skip through, I'd moonwalk, I'd spin around, and I'd like shake my head back and forth, I'd do a little dance. No, you wouldn't. I, at this point, in, in this point in my life, I've, I've moved beyond what, caring what others think. Okay. Well, when did that happen? Good, that's an excellent question. I don't know. I don't think it happened like a specific date. I think it's happened over time. And... Um, like any like anyone young i was i was cocky but what about after having a child did that have influence on that I, maybe maybe it was the pursuit of having a child yeah. that humbled me and provided a certain degree of of focus on on really what is important in life because damn it I, we worked really hard to bring our child into the world and we had failures we had uh, disappointment 
over a very long period of time. So when he actually came into the world, it was a different level of appreciation. And if I would have experienced that in my 20s, I think I would have taken it all for granted. Mm -hmm. So that same philosophical question, metaphorically speaking, how much do people approach their lives to avoid rejection to avoid conflict, to please others, to be accepted, to be part of a group, right? So for a lot of people, that exact experience would be so painful, they'd do anything to avoid it. So the idea of not being liked, to not be accepted, to have an opinion that differentiates from others who, who are in your circle creates a lot of anxiety, modern day anxiety. And so to take a stoic approach, it's to not be controlled by the external, but you must be very conscious and aware of what you hold important, right? Your values and what your purpose is on this world, on this earth, has to be clearly defined. And that's another thing that we are moving further away from. In a secular society, some of the, I'm not a religious person, but I'm a spiritual one. And we were raised religiously. But one of the, the messages uh, throughout texts and within religious communities is that you, you don't live for this earth, right? That there is a purpose that exists. This is in Stoic philosophy as well. That you see life as time limited and you are here for lessons. You are here to serve others. You mentioned it to start this podcast, Serving others in some way creates greater joy and happiness. I say this to all my, my clients. I've never met anybody who was truly content and happy, who was always focusing on themselves. Modern Western culture is uh, a lot of focus on yourself, mm -hmm. your appearance, uh, your presentation to the world, what you say, what you do, your status. That ultimately creates misery because even people who achieve a status become miserable and unhappy. We ask you, you, you know, your goal is to make a million dollars. Well, then someone's making 10 million. You make 10 million, someone's making a billion. You're making a billion, somebody is the richest man on, on the earth, right? There's always something to crave and strive mm -hmm. for, which creates unhappiness. You only find your happiness in your day-to-day -day actions, in that purpose. That's why when you talked about that, manifestation or daily grind that gets you somewhere it is it is in the process it is not in the outcome or the goal so whether this podcast has one million listeners or 10 is our joy any different no because it's the three of us in this room having a conversation that provides the joy right it's not a number that's assigned to it uh, but our minds can can create like our value or the idea of this conversation is, uh, is of more importance if there are a million, right? Like, if there are a million people listening to us, then we are more important, right? Are we better as people? Have, do we have a higher value? Do you feel better well, about yourself? Well, now you're yourself? having a conversation about what success is. Like, I love this process of having these conversations because it becomes a permanent piece that we can look back on when we're 75 years old and listen to ourselves and probably see how the wisdom evolves over time. What I knew in my 20s and the way I live my life is not 
who I am in my 40s. And I think that's the lesson is that wisdom comes from those experiences over time. And you talk to anybody in their 80s or 90s, God, they wish they could go back and tell themselves what they know now. Hmm. And unfortunately, you can't just say those things to a 20-year-old and have it resonate. They have to experience those things on their own, then read those words, or then have those conversations and actually have it impact them in a way that they never thought possible. So let's say we could detach you from any expectation of a certain outcome, right? That everything that you did, every action was only about a behavior that was aligned with a principle in which you wanted to live, right? There was no expectation of any outcome, okay? So you loved fully without the expectation that somebody loved you back or you took a risk in a, in a business without any expectation that it provides you riches or you make a statement that you think or believe at a given time without any expectation that that should be um, revered or applauded. Mm-hmm. Is your life better? You're detached from any outcome. Is your, yes. <laughs> you, you exercise. Yes, because you're, you're being true to yourself. So you got to think of another step deeply. It is the expectation that creates the pain. It's the way that something should be that creates human suffering. If everything is just the way it's supposed to be, it is as it is, without any expectation it should be different, then you are living fully in that experience. We suffer when we think something should be different than the way it is. So let's go back to man's search for meaning, Viktor Frankl. Mm -hmm. He would suffer if he believed he shouldn't have been in that concentration camp, right? Mm -hmm. Or Or the person who was wrongly imprisoned or jailed. Think about the emotional pain and suffering that would exist when you would fight with your reality. But the Stoic philosophers, or Victim Frank, would say the freedom is in accepting your circumstances and living fully in that. There's a concept in dialectical behavior therapy called radical acceptance. Radical acceptance is with all your heart and all your mind. You face reality as it is. Everything is as it should be. Mm-hmm. There is no other expectation or judgment that it should be different. Think about how much we suffer and how much we are angered when we're not treated in the way that we're supposed to be. Those who focus on things that have happened in the past. Could be the past, could be the presence, or their idea of what they think is going to happen in the future. And this idea of mastering that internally. Like Epictetus said, any person capable of angering you becomes your master. Mm-hmm. I often think back, mm-hmm. and I think we've, we've discussed it, and I maybe asked each of you in this room, if you could go back in time and change anything, would you? And I've, I'm a firm believer, and I love the idea of that butterfly effect and how all those things that have happened, even the worst to you, has led you to where you are today. And if you're happy in, in where you are in this moment, to change anything of the past could prevent that from happening. Your life could be far worse 
um, if you were to change something? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think a lot of people would probably say they would change the reactions that they had in certain situations. But those reactions are... What brought you what to this point. To, so it's yeah, kind exactly. of like this weird paradox, yes. right? And if they would, to, would change those reactions, which are normally emotional or mm-hmm. whatever, like think about a breakup or something, then you wouldn't have what you have today. But again, you had to go through the struggle and the process of the struggle. You mm-hmm. had to learn from that. So if you had those reactions, you're right. I wouldn't want to change anything because I have my family now. I've got mm-hmm. good friends, people that I can talk to. This podcast, which genuinely does teach me a lot about life, and I, I ingest everything as much as I possibly can. And, and I pass that information along to to students. And I think that you know they benefit from mm-hmm. what I've learned here. So I, the real answer would be, no, I wouldn't change anything, but man, do you want to. You yeah. remember those moments where you just wanted to, oh, wow, I really blew up on that. Because right. memories can create pain and suffering. Like that's, that's what makes humans different. I love the mind of a dog. <laughs> you, know, you know what? what's interesting? And this is the fascinating thing about dogs. I love dogs. I got two of them at home. Um, they're both about two years old, you know, still kind of, pu- I guess they're adolescents in the dog world, but still puppies to us. They, dogs don't have the ability to like go back into the past and like think about things. So like you, you'll be around the dogs, you'll leave, right? Even if it's for like five or 10 minutes, like, and you come back, they're really excited to see you, yeah. right? Because their they're, they're version of time is different, right? The shortest of short-term memories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like they're fully engaged in the moment, right? Squirrel runs back, boom, you're, you're on the squirrel in the moment. Squirrel's gone, you're gone. You know, they don't have the ability to go into their mind and go, oh my God, what if this happens in the future? Are you going to leave me again? Wait, am I going to be home all day? Like their minds don't have the ability. Oh, I remember last week when you left for four hours and I was home alone. I'm angry at you. Like the mind of a dog doesn't have, they're fully engrossed in that moment. So if you're not there, they might be upset or lonely if they're not occupied by something else. But when you're back again, they're really excited. Human beings are different. We can suffer based on something that is not even happening right now. Mm. I can have you close your eyes and imagine a painful memory and you can feel strongly like that, like that is occurring. And so, a lot of people suffer based on what has, hap- has happened and isn't happening currently. People will suffer too about the story of their future. It hasn't even occurred yet, but they will suffer by it. It's like when you told that story when you were in college and you had to speak in front of an incoming class of football players. Yeah. And you said you started getting like the back sweats even thinking about it, <laughs> how uncomfortable it was in that moment. But that that was a very instrumental moment in your life. Yeah. I mean, and that's another way. Now we have that ability to go back and to look at painful events. Can you approach your life with gratitude? If you're talking about going back and redoing things. And instead, we, we developed a thankfulness or a gratitude for that suffering, for that pain, mm-hmm. because with it came a lesson, something to be learned. Um, modern mental health, when you think about what psychotherapy is, I can't even begin to talk about the stories that people have told me about what they have heard or what they have received in the modern mental health community about how to approach suffering. You know, so much is about avoidance or blame. Uh, you know, 
in a, in a modern mental health treatment in a psychotherapy, suffering will be created to go back into a painful event, even if that painful event isn't identified to be necessarily traumatic and they're having a hard time recovering from it. It's actually just to go back as if to identify some reason that would better explain their struggles right now. Epictetus said, don't seek for everything to happen as you wish it would, but rather wish that everything happens as it actually will. Then your life will flow. And so it's fully engaging in your life as it is and being able to detach from those, from those expectations. That doesn't mean that you don't have choice in what you do in response to that. That is our freedom, right? But it is regardless of what happens to us that we respond in the most effective way that is virtuous and that is aligned with our value mm-hmm. and the purpose that we have for living. So back to my other, my other question, have we detached from our sense of purpose? So you have to ask yourself, if you, if you cannot answer the question, what, I, what am I doing on this earth? Why am I here? Then you are, I think you are vulnerable to that free floating anxiety and um, of, of mental distress and anguish. Kelly, why are you here? <laughs> I mean, it's okay. I, I was just thinking when you were saying that, sometimes I'll, um, I will get a, a little bit upset about how the educational system is moving along, but man, am I thankful that I, I w- I'm a teacher. I feel as if I was able to, you know, get students over the years to think a little bit differently to you bring can be part of the solution be part of the solution yeah. and to and to bring critical thought yeah. back into a, a system that has negated it for years generations now and i think that maybe one of the purposes that i have that i feel very confident with is simply allowing and teaching students to question things and to be able to question me and to still look at me as um you know well you're the teacher you know i, I want to respect you you know, I don't need to be your best buddy like some teachers will do. Uh, I don't want that. But I, but I also want them to understand that they can have a level conversation with me, especially at the high school level. And I feel like that's, part, that's my purpose. My purpose to be a father, a, a good father, to, to, to love. Those are the things that make me feel really good, right? And, um, and I, I just, I'm floored by the, the kind of the epiphany I had with, you know, you, just going back and saying, what would you change? And just thinking about those moments again where you failed. There's lots of them. But right? my goodness, now I, you go back and you just think, if that didn't happen, then this wouldn't happen for me. And, and I like where I am. So I need to go back and almost appreciate those embarrassing moments, those flaws, those struggles mm-hmm. that just over and over and over, going through depression mm-hmm. at an early age where people were judging me, you know, like, oh, he must be weak or... Well, guess what? Going through that struggle really helped. You just created that in your mind. Yeah. You know, that people would judge you as weak if you, if you well, have yeah. depression. I just want to point out yep. that that's what the mind does, right? So I don't know if we have any evidence to suggest that someone is judging you as weak based on feeling depressed, but the mind can create that and that sure. creates a reality and then you feel a certain way. Yes. Sean, what is your purpose? I have multiple purposes and they change over time. Right now, my purpose and the reason why I came back 
to Pennsylvania was to raise my son in an environment where he could have the best life possible. We talked about how there's always another group out there that you can compare yourself to. And I was laughing because I was living in Los Angeles. That is the worst area to live if you ever want to feel like you have succeeded because success is nearly impossible. You can have what most people would strive to in terms of a successful career, a salary, but everywhere you look, you're surrounded by more. And more does not provide happiness. And it's more, so, more can be an obstacle. It is an obstacle, but it actually, to me, and it took a long time, I realized that a lot of people that were in a position that I aspired to be were miserable. And I knew that that environment would ultimately lead to misery for my family. And I moved back here because I wanted to spend as much time with my son in these developmental years as possible. And this would provide that opportunity. My other purpose is in terms of my career, I was, I could have continued to work in the corporate environment and very, I probably would have put myself in a position where I would have been a very high level. Um, and for some people may say successful, but I think the greatest value I can provide right now is to come in here and do the little things, the little things every single day to make improvements to, uh, our business here that will allow growth to happen in a more meaningful way whether it's the discussions in these rooms that allow us to get the message out, whether it's the little data files and reports that I create for Roger's business that provide more insight and direction, or if it's just incorporating little things into the business that remove the frustrations and obstacles that get in the way of progress happening. So that when the opportunity does come for expansion or growth or to influence and help more people, we're in the best position possible to allow that to happen. And it's putting myself almost in, in a backseat a little bit um, and allowing that to just kind of happen. It sounds to me like you really enjoy improving people's lives and improving things. Like you get value out of that. I, I do because I can look at things and say, I've, I've created this, this didn't exist before and now it creates value. I think that that's worthwhile. I think that that's good yeah. and very positive. Yeah, I think we, we need to, perceived value is a big thing in terms of people's lives, how they perceive their, their own value. And right now, you could argue that a lot of individuals around the world perceive their lives as being very negative. And, and the value that comes out of this, these conversations, God, it's really important for, for me. Just think about how my perspective and my mind has expanded in these first 30 episodes you're no longer dangerously naive <laughs> i'm still i'm still hopelessly naive uh i'm an optimist I, i've come to that conclusion i i really want to see the best out of people and i i really do strive to allow that to happen but i'm approaching how i raise my child differently for sure if i was in los angeles the, the way that i would you know be doing things with him would be completely different and uh, all these things to me, they're connected. That they're, It's not one thing happening and another thing happening completely separate. They're all tied together. And it's for, it's for a bigger purpose that I'm not seeing yet. 
but I'll, I'll look back on it and I'll say, boy, that was the right decision for us. How about you? We'll throw the question right back at you. Yeah, so it's very clear to me what my, my purpose is, and, and I want to have a positive influence on, on people in order to create a life of, of value, purpose, and meaning. Now, like, like Sean, like you, that is uh, multifaceted, right? First and foremost, I'm a, I'm a father and I'm a husband, and that's a responsibility that is uh, both virtuous and tied to what I value, so um, that is my, my greatest influence is my, my ability to shape, you know, my, my own children uh, to provide for them and, and to love my wife and to love my family. So that's at the top of the priority risk list. If those things in my life, if there, if there are struggles there, it might be a little bit more difficult for me to um, be able to continue with my purpose in other areas. But as a psychologist, you know, there's a little mantra that I have with each client who comes in to my office and it helps me stay mindful. As I walk out to get them, I kind of meditate on this idea. This is the most important person in the world. And so when they come back into my, my office, they don't know this, but in my mind, I have trained myself that they are the most important person in the world because in that moment they are, they're the only person in the world in that moment. We only have moments. So it helps me kind of move from where my mind was with a previous client or something else in my business, in my family, in my life, and it shifts it to the present moment. And when that person becomes the most important person in the world, I'm controlling my attention and where it needs to be. But I'm also responding in a, uh, a virtuous way. Um, I'm also responding in an ethical way because everything about what I say or what I do has to be in their best interest. They are the most important person in the world. It gets me to stop and observe what I'm about to say, control any impulses because we're human beings. And I think through what I say, whether that can create harm or that could create good, right? Because we have this ability, your mind, Marcus Aurelius said this, your mind will take shape of what you frequently hold in thought for the human spirit is colored by such impressions. So if every person that I engage with professionally becomes the most important person in the world, I'm holding them up to a high value. And that's based on ethical principles uh, that we hold dear in, in mental health. It doesn't mean that you're perfect as a human being, but at least your intention is striving in that way. Mm -hmm. And I do believe our, you know, our, our greater purpose is something that is spiritually um, in, ingrained in all of us, and we have to be able to develop the consciousness to understand it. So I do believe you're put on this earth for a particular reason. I do believe you're you're put on this earth for lessons to bring yourself closer to, um, to whatever your God or whatever that extreme being may be. There are lessons to be learned. I think we are doing something that are we, uh, our ultimate value is to do something um, positive to advance humanity. Within that, it's provided me many benefits. The love of learning. The love of learning is, is heaven. We, have, we also have to ask ourselves, can, 
can we create heaven and can we create hell on this earth? I believe we can, right? So when we talk about ourselves as creators, what is heaven for you personally, right? And when you're in hell, how has that been created? And what have you done to contribute to it? So even in the most adverse of circumstances, we can create hell and we can create a heaven. And you have to understand within yourself, what is that heaven? You know, that's why we use our emotions to benefit us. When do you feel joy? I will tell you some of the greatest joys. Well, no, there's no doubt about this. All of my greatest joys have nothing to do with anything that I have accomplished. Some of the greatest joys I have are from that therapy session when that person tells me their life is better from what we're doing. Or I watch my children perform and overcome something and have success. Or someone else who is a close friend or family member when I'm engaging fully in that moment and I see that person kind of rise and achieve some things. If I pay attention, that creates joy. That is heaven. So you want to put myself in those experiences over and over again. What is hell for me? Hell is the idea when I'm acting or doing in things that are not aligned with my values. When I didn't live that day, according to what I'm talking about today. When I've made a mistake, when I've hurt somebody that maybe I love. Or if I've done something that didn't push me forward in what that purpose was. Hell can be created. Hell can be created also in loss or the concept of loss, right? That idea of not having something you believe you need to have in order to feel good, your personal hell can be created there too. So it goes back to, you know, being a creator. And when I have made choices to say or to do things, it is because it is aligned with my value or my purpose. And do I always hold true to that? Nope, I'm human. Mm -hmm. And we can also be governed by our emotional experiences or other factors. Things that we've talked about on this podcast. What creates vulnerability to not live in that way? It is usually the inflictions of our physical well-being and health. Are you, are you sleep deprived? Are you not exercising? Are you sick and not feeling well physically? Have you not, you know been out in the sunlight have you not moved your body have you you know there's a number of things that we can do that can create our own personal hell and not be connected spiritually with what our purpose is can i read one last quote and it's from seneca's euthemia which is on tranquility and as i read it it made me think of of roger he said tranquility can't be grasped except by those who have reached an unwavering and firm power of judgment. The rest constantly fall and rise in their decisions, wavering in a state of alter alternately rejecting and accepting things. What is the cause of this back and forth? It's because nothing is clear and they rely on the most uncertain guide, common opinion. Seneca defines euthymia as believing in yourself and trusting that you are on the right path not being in doubt by following the myriad of footpaths of those wandering in every direction. It's about being true to yourself. And as I read that, I think of how you, over the last year, and your voice in this room is often not that 
of the common opinion. It's really about your very firm and strong in your beliefs and how if you want to live a life worth living, you need to stay true to yourself, not others. Yeah. And, um, so in preparation for this, I found a really cool video that kind of sums everything up about stoicism. Do you mind if I play it for you yeah, guys let's and do just it. like listen to it? Um, I just found it really neat and you guys can comment on it. Let me, uh, let me get it going here. Three key lessons from the Stokes. Number one, Amor Fati. It didn't happen to you, it happened for you. Fate chose this for you, accept it, embrace it, bear it, make something of it. That's the idea of Amor Fati. Uh, Marx really says a fire turns everything into fuel and, and brightness. That's Amor Fati. Number two, it's about what you do for other people. Marcus really says the fruit of this life is good character and acts for the common good. The Stoics weren't trying to study this philosophy to be better sociopaths, to be able to make more money for their own sake, to be more famous. It was about what they do for other people. Are you moving the ball forward for humanity? Number three, this puts the other two in perspective, memento mori. You could leave life right now, as Marcus really says, let that determine what you do and say and think. Life is short. Do everything as if it was the thought or action of a dying person, Marcus says. Life is fragile. Live while you can. Seize the day. So mm -hmm. just comments on that? Well, the idea of a, a good life, serving others, living accordance to your values as if today is your last day. I mean, they are extremely important principles to live by. And this idea of, of a, a spiritual connection or a connection with a purpose that everything that occurs or happens to you is a lesson. It is something to benefit you. These are mindset shifts that are not typical in our modern day Western culture. A lot of the ideas of Western culture will make you sick, sick mentally, make you sick physically. A world that is uh, only purposed is to serve pleasure or to serve riches or to serve fame will ultimately make you miserable. We see it in our Hollywood culture. How many people who have achieved fame, you know, develop drug problems or, you know, talk about achieving that level of fame has created misery and what they would do just to go back and not live that, that life. And those who, may, who might be successful with that type of fame or are living a full life are ones who are connected to it, that it is part of their purpose and there are certain things that they, they accept. But we know this to be true. If you are focusing and you are driven towards just pleasure, you will ultimately suffer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you spoke of virtue. And, uh, you know, all empires fail or fall. It just, over time, it happens. So without virtue, it is hard to bear the results of good fortune suitably. That was Aristotle. And it, it made me consider like sports teams, you know, and, and how ego comes into play. What is it about a team that'll win a Super Bowl one season and then the next they fail? It's because ego comes in the way of that purpose and that motivation. So how can we every day be grateful for what we have, not let ego get in the way of our purpose and our motivations, 
never give ourselves too much credit, but continue to work on a greater purpose. And uh, I love that idea of living life to the fullest. Because when you have experienced loss in your life, you, you take every day and you don't want to take it for granted. At, when you're on your deathbed, you're not going to remember sitting on your ass watching an episode of Netflix. You're going to remember being outside and your kid's covered in mud. And at the, you might get frustrated at that, but you'll look back on that memory and, and want it again. That's what life is. It's all those moments. Yeah. Sure. What I take away from this podcast is just the idea of the obstacle. It's going to be different for everybody. I started off telling you guys the story about the king that, that doing my research. The direct quote after that story is the obstacle in the path become becomes the path. Never forget within every obstacle is an opportunity to improve our condition. Listening to a podcast may be therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you are considering suicide, call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening.